see, Valentine's is not just for Cupid and the love arrows and people that are in love. Valentine's is a day where we recognize that God loves you, that God is love, and that God loved the entire world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes would never perish but have everlasting life. And so what we're doing here with the Thrive Youth Group is they're preparing a dinner and they're going to serve everybody who's here at attendance at February 18th at 5 p.m. And what did that Thunderbird have to do with it? It's going to be a 50s theme. And so come on out for the sock cop or whatever the 50s is. I'm not old enough to remember that, thankfully, but maybe one day I will. I don't know how that works. But join us. You don't have to be a member of the church. You just have to be hungry and want to enjoy good fellowship and be served by our teens who want to minister to you. So February 18th, 5 p.m. Saturday night, we'll see you. Here at Open Door Baptist Church, we take pride in our diamond ministry. You see, the diamonds are a group of people that are age 50 or older. And this ministry really just centers around a group of people that love on each other, pray for each other, have great times of fellowship. And there's two main events that happen every single month. Basically, the first one happens typically the third Friday of every month at 6 p.m. here at the church. And what this is, is, we call this our diamond dinner. For those age 50 or above, you don't have to be a member of the church. Just come on out here and have a wonderful meal and a time of fellowship with our resident chef's will, uh, owner and purveyor, I guess purveyor, of Grumpy Dog, as well as our resident chef, Russ. So be here for that if you're age 50 or older. And then also, typically every single month, they have what's known as the Diamond Excursion. And so just like the word excursion means, they excursion some places to go have a great time of fellowship in great events. They went to Fort Toulouse. They went to a Pioneer Village. They went to museums and things of that nature. And so it's always a great time. And so if you're age 50 or older and you're looking for a group just to have some great camaraderie, great fellowship, and a great time with, come visit us at Open Door Baptist Church and we'll get you connected with the Diamond Ministry. If you're looking for something to do Sunday nights at 6 p.m., we'd love to have you join us. What we have going on first is a study, a look into the minor prophets. You see, many people know who Ezekiel, they know Jeremiah, they know Isaiah, but there are less people that know Obadiah. They don't know who maybe Zechariah, let alone Zephaniah, who they are. And so Dr. Brock Miller, what he does is he goes ahead and shows us who these minor prophets are, why they're called minor prophets, what it meant for the original audience back then, and what relevance does God's message through them have for us today, 2,000 years later. And so join Dr. Miller and his class on the minor prophets here Sunday nights at 6 p.m. in one of our growth groups. If you're looking for something to do Sunday nights at 6 p.m., we'd love to have you join us for our growth groups. Like I said, right down there, 6 o'clock p.m. on Sunday nights. Basically what we do is we try to have great fellowship as well as digging into scripture. If the Bible is God's special revelation to mankind, you and I would do well to understand what God is trying to get across for us. And so we do this through two types of adult growth groups. We have two classes that are available, one hosted by Dr. Brock Miller, who's going through the Minor Prophets currently, and one hosted by myself as we're going through the book of James, and we're looking at an active faith. And so if you're looking for something to do Sunday nights at 6 p.m., yep, that's the party time. We'd love to have you here at Open Door Baptist Church at 1128 Oats Road, Prattville, Alabama, 
3-6-0-6-6. Check it out. Check us out on the website at www.odbaptist.com. What is a gumshoe? Does that have anything about the sticky stuff we step on going about our day? Does it have anything to do with what's stuck underneath the desks at school? Actually not. It's a common misconception. It's a term that's not even used very often today, but a gumshoe is a private investigator, a detective, if you will. What does this mean as far as Open Door Baptist Church? Simply in the fact that every Wednesday at 7 p.m., we have our gumshoes class that seeks to discover what the Christian faith is, dig a little more deeper into well, here tonight I, I guess um. <laughs> you didn't hurt your feelings Mike I'm pretty good at that that aspect of it glad to everybody who's watching online maybe there's some people that are watching online that are cognizant um, but uh, I'm, I'm wearing purple tonight in honor of uh, you know what day it is today Wednesday, right? <laughs> See, they, they have no idea if you're watching. It's Ash Wednesday today, uh, 40 days till Easter. So this officially begins the Easter season. So purple for the, the resurrection. Now say, well, how can you have a big mark on your head? Well, I think a lot of that liturgy is extra biblical. Um, and without getting too deep into it, uh, one of my personal issues is spending 40 days being reminding God how much of a sinner that I was and still am somewhat negates the thing that I want to celebrate the most, which is because of what Jesus did, that I no longer stand here as a sinner. I'm saved, forgiven, and secure. Now, I don't want to forget. I understand that where I came from. Don't misunderstand me, but some of the nuances of that are a little different. So, But at the same time, it, can anybody believe we're already heading into the Easter season? Hello, here we are. 2023, going down the track. So, at any rate, uh, Easter's coming, and um, praise the Lord for the empty tomb. All right, tonight we're going to be in John chapter number three. We, last week we began this chapter of the Bible that I mentioned, probably uh, one of the most uh, famous and significant chapters in all of the scriptures. It is a conversation that Jesus has very early in his ministry. He's recently done his first uh, public miracle at... at um, Jerusalem there where he threw out the, the money changers and did some miracles that demonstrated he was the claiming to be the Messiah. The Pharisees and Sadducees are already angry at him. They're already starting to reject uh, his claims. But we find one of the Pharisees comes to Jesus uh, by night and he speaks on behalf of other Pharisees and he says, we know that thou art a teacher come from God and that the things that you're doing, uh, no one can do except God be with him. And again, if you don't see the Jewish perspective there, he's saying you're doing messianic things that we've been teaching the Messiah will do. And we're kind of confused about this. And yet Nicodemus, unlike other Pharisees, has enough wisdom and response to the drawing of the Holy Spirit. So I want to find out more about this. And he comes to Jesus and begins this conversation. Uh, so tonight we're going to pick things up in verse number three, where the Bible says, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And so Jesus begins to, in response to 
Nicodemus saying, hey, you do all these miracles, and we know that they're messianic and don't understand. And then Jesus immediately goes to this topic of saying, Nicodemus, you need to understand, truly, truly, I'm saying to you, unless you're born again, you can't get into the kingdom of God. Now, he begins this idea of being born again. Now, I've been around the, the globe a little bit, not as long as some of you have been around the globe, but um, remember back in the day, I think it was back in the 1970s or so, remember the born again movement where, you know, anybody doesn't know, do you remember that, Brother Bill? He was, you know, with those stickers and I think it was a campus crusade for Christ that led that thing. I think it might have been, pardon me? That, well, you had the Jesus movement, and then somewhat out of that growth, you all of a sudden this term born again, which is certainly, we find here, a biblical term, but there was an era, and I know most of you here tonight are too young to remember it. <laughs> Sorry, but uh, I remember it. And, you know, th there was a day where people would say, hey, have you been born again? You know, which is a fair question, isn't it? I don't know today. I think most people today would say, hey, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? You know, or at least in our culture where we are, hey, have you been saved? Although sometimes I think those churchy words, un un unsaved people don't know what we mean by that, you know, um, but, but we might use that term. Now, maybe you still do, and it's a good, acceptable term, but it's interesting, this whole idea of, of being born again. Uh, tonight is one of those sections of Life of Messiah from Ariel Ministries and Dr. Frutenbaum that uh, the first time that I listened to it is another section that I had one of those kind of stop and hit the play button again um, and I, I listened to this it was one of those ones where I went wow never heard that before and matter of fact a little bit one, somebody I can't remember who it was it might have been Jerry was motivated Jerry may not know this but motivated me to, to pull out some of my commentaries just for curiosity and look and see how they explain the passages we're going to go over tonight and most of the time western commentaries that come out of a western culture viewpoint don't see the Jewish nuance and understand that a generation ago or two generations ago where a lot of some of the, you know, big time where Matthew Henry's ministry was and those kind of guys, uh, you know, I don't know how much interaction they had with other Jewish people and they didn't have the internet where they could go find out either. Um, but it's pretty interesting to me how, how many of them don't get it. Now, I will say, I, I watched a short clip the other day of, the, of the, that chosen TV show, which I have some issues with, really, but... but I watched a section about Nicodemus, and, and th while they didn't get it all right, they had a, a, a part of it they did. And uh, so I was, I was, I give a little, you know, kudos there in the midst of a bunch of criticism. <laughs> but um, um, so tonight, I hope this is interesting to you. If you like John 3.16 and you like this idea or, or the, the understanding of being born again and what's going on here, uh, this will be interesting to you. Um, most of the time when you hear this passage being interpreted, uh, that when Nicodemus obviously could not understand how anyone could be born again, because obviously, you know, I think a, a normal person would say, well, that's physically not possible. You know, that's why, you know, you read the story and Nicodemus says, can a man enter into the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Uh, but the question um, is not whether that's possible. I think most of us would all agree that's highly unlikely to be possible, right? I think most of us would agree. So why does Nicodemus even ask this question? And it's kind of a strange question. I mean, Jesus says this, and then his first response is, 
hey, do I have to go back into my mother's womb and be born again? Now, the key to understanding this passage is really in the question that Nicodemus asks. And I will tell you that I knew this, had, this, had these verses memorized, know this for years, and I would quote this thing, but I, I never really stopped and thought about the, 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 what Nicodemus actually says. Notice in verse 4, he says, How can a man be born when he is old? That's the key to understanding this. The problem is, for most of us who are Gentiles and don't understand the first century Judaism or Judaism at all, we don't, we, it we goes right over us. And we, and we get to a fundamentally true assumption that, okay, we physically can't do that. And that, you know, that's not, Jesus cannot be referring to physically. So, you know, maybe, that, maybe that's a solution. But, you know, um, I think it'd be fair, or my, the question I would have asked is, how can a man be born again at all? In other words, if he says a man can't be born again when he is old, does that mean it's possible he could be born again when he is young or maybe when he's a teenager or maybe when he's a young adult? When you get to that point, you can do it. But somehow when you get old, you know, like me and Brock, no more. Do you, do you see the, the, the little bit of the conundrum there? Why does he define it as when he is old? You see, the answer to this is really, again, a Jewish perspective. Um, the reality is, and this is going to probably blow some of you away, Nicodemus did know something about the idea of being born again. This was not a new concept to him. You see, in Pharisaic writing, and I love especially in the longer version of Life Messiah, the book, you know, Dr. Fruitenbaum's famous for giving all these rabbinic sources that are very monotonous to read through, to be honest with you. Brock always says, I don't want to read through them, you know. So I do sometimes. I don't read through all of them, okay, full, full disclosure. But I read, and, and you know, and where basically he quotes all these, the writings from the Talmud or different Jewish writings that mention this, this idea of being born again. It was actually, according to Dr. Frutenbaum, uh, uh, quite a common idea. So, Nicodemus's problem was not the idea of being born again, but being born again at an old age. That was his problem. He said, now, how do we understand that? What, what's going on here? Well, in Pharisaical writings, the Pharisees in particular who held these views more than the Sadducees would, although some of them had some crossover, but um, according to the Pharisees of Jesus' day, there were six ways that a person could be born again during their physical life. Six ways. Now, even Arnold mentions that even in modern Judaism today, there's the idea of being born anew is used of a Jewish person who returns to Orthodox Judaism. In other words, if you're a Jewish person and you're not, you're not you know, observant in, in Orthodox Judaism, but then you get right and you come back to Orthodox Judaism, that's kind of the idea today. Then modern Judaism, they still call that a, a, a this person's been born again because they're back in the faith. But in, in Jesus' day, in the context of when this was given, there are six different ways. And really quickly, I'm going to give them to you. The first way a person could be said to be born again was a Gentile who was converted to Judaism. 
Now, we know that the Pharisees of Jesus' day did not place a high premium on trying to reach Gentiles. <laughs> they did not. But every now and then, a Gentile would be pretty persistent, or maybe there happened to be a, a really deep-hearted Pharisee that understood their responsibility to, to be the light of as God's people. And, and so if a Gentile did come and get into the program, there was this set thing they had to go through, a catechism of learning they had to go through, and it was a process. And at the end of the process, when they would graduate, they would go through a ceremonial baptism by immersion, by the way, uh, not sprinkling, uh, by immersion, and then they would be declared born again. And you can see that, can't you? Because they weren't were a Gentile, uh, you know, beholden to all the Gentile gods and all that, but now they are into Pharisaism and Judaism, and now they are, uh, you know, obligated to the Mosaic law. Now, that's a new life. That's a born-again experience. The second way a person could be said to be born again is if you were crowned king, all right, crowned king. And according to the Pharisees, it had to be somebody who was from the house of David, and if they were called to be king by a prophet of God, then they would be declared king. And once they were inaugurated as king and took the crown, they were said to be born again because now they begin a whole new life as a king. Interesting. The third way a person could be born again was at, a, at their bar mitzvah. Now, most of us probably are more familiar with what that is, right? Uh, in, the, in Orthodox Judaism, when a young man reaches the age of 13, he goes through his bar mitzvah under the law. And, and at this time, he took upon himself the full accountability to the Mosaic law. You see, before the age of 13 in Orthodox Judaism, all the sins that a child commits are on the tab of mom and dad. <laughs> <laughs> my mom and dad are going oh no um, before the age of 13 it's all on you which by the way is also brings an interesting viewpoint or consideration at least throw this out here um, you know we from our theological bent believe that we're all born sinners but that children go to heaven because they've not rejected the offer of eternal life um but at some point, they reach what we call the age of accountability. Anybody heard that terminology? And I, I think there's, that's probably what I would hold to. But then, well, how old is that? You know, I personally think it, the kids, you know, when they can discern between their right hand and the left, in other words, when they can clearly tell right and wrong. But, you know, I have to be careful of that because I know even tonight we had, we had a little one here that was, you know, a little Ray Ray. She's just been learning how to walk, right? How long has she been walking? A week? Three weeks she's been walking. Um, I, I watched, I noticed a little bit that she understands when mom wants her to do something or not do something. Doesn't mean she does it. <laughs> Usually, come here. And then they, eh, now she can start walking away. No, I'm, I'm fast. <laughs> um, so I don't know where that is, but it is interesting if you bring a Jewish perspective at it, I would probably say that age of accountability is somewhere around the age of 13. Interesting, isn't it? Just, just a thought. But you can see when a, when a young man went through the bar mitzvah and now he's fully responsible for his own sins and he's fully responsible to the Mosaic law that he is now born again in the sense that he has this new life. It's a new ball game for him now, right? Wouldn't you say that'd be the truth? The fourth way a person could get born again, according to the Pharisees, when they got married. Pharisees considered a man when he got married to be born again. Tonight, we have somebody here who's about to get married. I found it 51 days from tonight. 
And all of us married men said, after you say I do and everything, you know, you have been born again. Right, men? We love our born again life, don't we? None of the men are saying nothing. Let the record show. Not a man in here is happy to be born again um, in the area of marriage. It's a new world once you take on that I do, I will, I said I do, for better, for worse, richer, or poorer. It's a new world. Um, but I want a game with my friends tonight. There's dishes to be done. You know, that's a new world, right, guys? Now, if you're a good husband, you already have the dishes done and put away. I can't even get the women to say amen tonight. I am... I'm struggling here tonight, but that's all right. Um, it's interesting, though, in Pharisaic writing in the Jewish culture of Jesus' day, the Pharisees recommended men to get married from the ages of 16 to 20. <laughs> Let me say that again. They recommended that men get married, men, because they were considered a man after the age of 13, from the ages of 16 to 20. You're a little, I was going to say, Joe, you have missed the biblical Jewish command back there by just a little bit, though. Um, some of us missed it by longer than that. I was, you know, a couple of years, a couple of years late on that. But I was thinking to myself, you know, for those of us who have daughters, how many of us want the 16-year-old to come to you and say, hey, I think I should marry your daughter. Right, Michelle? <laughs> Well, I'm having all kinds of illustrations here tonight. We had that one of, one of our families had that happen <laughs> in the parking lot after church. <laughs> that, was, that, that was one of my favorite nights. I went home laughing all the way home. You know, I see Matt Swafford driving going. <laughs> but um, 16 to 20. Now, of course, understand that the, the median age that people lived was not 75 in first century, you know, this time frame. Uh, things are different, but that's the Jewish perspective is 16 to 20. Now, we're not told specifically that, that, that Nicodemus was married, but we are indirectly that we could be sure that he was because back in verse number one, you remember last week we saw that Nicodemus was not only a Pharisee, but he was also a ruler of the Jews, meaning he was part of the Sanhedrin. And we do know that to be a member of the Sanhedrin, which is a, a governing body, it's kind of like, um, you know, there's the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and, and they, they go together to make a 72 people to make together the Sanhedrin. It's kind of like today you could have the Republicans and the Democrats. You might be a Republican or a Democrat, but then you get elected to be a member of Congress. Do you see what I'm saying? There were a lot of other Pharisee, or Pharisees running around and rabbis, but only a select few were, went through a process, and I don't even know how totally it went, to get them in there, but they became part of the Sanhedrin. And to be part of the Sanhedrin, they did require you to be married. So now we know that Nicodemus has not only been born once again when he was at his bar mitzvah, which he was Jewish. He also, we know he was married, so he was born again a second time. Then the next way you could be born again was through rabbinic ordination. You see, when a person became a rabbi and completed a certain amount of study, and according to Pharisaic law, reached the age of 30, they were eligible for ordination. And once a man was ordained as a rabbi, he was considered to be born again because once again, and trust me, as, uh, you know, maybe if I could use a rough analogy, you know, when you go, the Bible in the New Testament says that you shouldn't put uh, hands on a man lightly or suddenly, but once he's grown in the word and he knows his way around, even if he's a relatively young man, but um, he knows his way around, we, we have this thing that we believe in called ordination. When the church recognizes God's call in the life of a, uh, of a young man and 
puts the ordination upon him and we evaluate him and at least for our church's purposes you know i'm not comfortable giving someone a, a title of, of a pastor unless they've gone through ordination and and so once they've gone through ordination now they're a pastor and they take upon themselves the responsibilities of being a teacher of the word of god and the the leadership of the flock of god and when you take on the title of a pastor I can tell you, and Pastor Danny can tell you, and probably Mike Jones can tell you, it, it, it's a new life. <laughs> You've been born again. <laughs> Things are different. They, they really are. And so uh, when Nicodemus, we know that he was a rabbi uh, for many reasons, but again, he was in the Sanhedrin, so he would have had to have been uh, at least a rabbi. So this is the third time that he would have experienced being born again. The sixth way, the last way a, a person could experience being born again is a man could experience the new birth by taking on the leadership of a Pharisaic seminary. In other words, he would now be a, a responsible to train and ordain other rabbis. Hmm, interesting. Now, we know that Nicodemus had reached this level because later on, and we're not going to be there totally tonight, but if you look down in, in your text to verse number 10, where Jesus asked Nicodemus a question after they've gone back and forth a little bit, he says, art thou a master of Israel and knowest not these things? Jesus gives him a specific title. Now, in the King James, it says master, but the Greek word there is the word didaskalos, which is a very common Greek word. I imagine, Joe, you probably, did you have to take Greek class to do mission? So didaskalos was certainly in your vocabulary, I know, right? Uh, very common. It just means a teacher. Um, and in the KJV, it has a translated, you know, uh, as, you know, um, a master of Israel. But it is interesting, if you go into the Greek, and Joe, you can check this out if you want, you'll find that before didaskalos is what we call in the Greek a, de a definite article. Um, articles are also in the English language. Typically, in an article in the English language is almost always translated the word the. And so there are some translations that I think have a, a preferable translation here. Um, not that either one is necessarily wrong, but I think it's better to say when Jesus looks at him, he says, Art thou the master, the teacher of Israel, and knowest not these things? You see, from a Jewish perspective, Jesus is recognizing Nicodemus's position as not just a teacher, a didaskalos, which is literally means rabbi. A rabbi is a teacher. Jesus is saying, art thou not the didaskalos? Are you not the master? You see, most Gentiles don't see the Jewish nuance here. They, they don't see it. Nix was not just a teacher, but he led a rabbinic seminary called a yeshiva in the day, and he, we might consider him basically be the president of that seminary. And it was considered inside of, of, of Pharisaism where they would have these different seminaries crop up and they had a system of them around. And of course, we know that Nicodemus was mainly in the area of Jerusalem, which was the epicenter of Pharisaism and the religious, obviously, with the temple being there. And it appears that Nicodemus was the president of the seminary that was probably located in the city of Jerusalem. And so when it came to differences of opinion on stuff, ultimately when it went up the food chain, this rabbi to that rabbi to that rabbi, you went up the scale, you went up the scale, and 
according to Phariseeism teaching, one of the guys, the matter of fact, the guy that held the final opinion was the master teacher, the president of the seminary. And that's the title that Nicodemus had achieved. You see, if somebody was a rabbi, they were called rabbi, which means teacher. But if they attained the position of the president of the local seminary, they attained a title called a rabban, which is rabbi with an A-N on the end. And the difference in its translation, it goes from simply being teacher to the teacher. Now, is that fascinating or what? And Nicodemus had attained this level of achievement in his life. Now, to become a rabban, you didn't get that when you were 30 years old, which is when you first could really become a rabbi. It took a lot of time and experience. And again, people didn't live to be, but I think life expectancy was in the late 50s, early 60s during this time. So uh, usually you didn't achieve this until you were somewhere near the age of 50. They consider that old. Take that for what it's worth. Those of you here tonight that have not achieved the age of 50, you're not old. For those of you who achieved the age of 50, there's few of us in here tonight. Joe, that's you. That's me. Those of us who are just a little bit over, right? No, actually, you and I are closer to 60 than we are to 50. Anybody here that's almost 50? That's right. Michelle, are you? I don't. Are you near there? You're right. You're just. You're younger than that, right? Just, yeah. Uh, so you know, I know. Emery, you're just a kid. You're just a child. You're, you're just a rabbi. You know, you're, just, you're there. But so at 50 years old, they consider themselves old. So Nicodemus, if he had achieved this, this is now the fourth time in his life he'd experienced this new sensation of being born again by achieving a station in life that changed everything about his life. And so now he is old. You know, he was born again at 13 and then it got married at, let's say, 18. And then he got born again when he became a rabbi at 30. And he became born again when he took over the seminary at somewhere around the age 50. So he's been born again four times. That's why tonight in my post, which nobody seemed to respond to, and I said, how many times have you been born again? Did anybody, did anybody even see that or is Facebook killing my posts? Did you see it, Pastor Danny? You didn't even want to answer, did you? You liked it. That's not what I asked. Do you like this? I asked the question, how many times have you been born again? I put thumbs up. Okay, how many thumbs up? I, I put once, you know. Now, I was going to give you a hint and say Dr. Frutenbaum at least twice. It's just to throw you all off and go, does he believe you can lose your salvation? No, no, I don't. But basically, Nicodemus is looking at Jesus and he's saying, how can I experience being born again when I'm old? I have used up all the avenues that are available to me to be and experience the new birth. This is why he asked Jesus the question the way that he does. To see how poof, that totally changes the way you look at this passage and go, wow, okay. These two are having a conversation about something they both understood. You know, Nicodemus is saying going back into the womb and starting all over is the only way that he could see it possible for him to experience being born again again. I need to, I've used up all the options I have, so I'd have to go back in and be born again physically because each of these events of life pertain to the physical life that he had lived from the time that he was 13 and his first experience of being born again all the way through his becoming a, a rabban and taking over the seminary. It all had to do with his physical life and he used them all up so he had to have another physical life. Like, you know, when you play Mario Brothers or something, you need another life. 
You know, he goes, I don't have it. How do I get another one of those? This is why, this is why Jesus' response in verse number five, now this is going to make sense to you more than maybe it has in the past, although fundamentally it gets to the same truth, but now you see it with a more clear nuance. In verse number five, Jesus answers him and says, Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. So Jesus knew that Nicodemus was going to interpret when he said born again the way that he did. His, his point to Nicodemus is physically and in this life, of your own flesh, there is nothing you can do, but being born again is required. And so, yes, you're right, Nicodemus, physically you can do no more. But getting into the kingdom of God is not of the flesh, but it is of the spirit. Ooh, that's good. Now, next week, we're going to get it. I'm going to look at this in a little more detail because I figured I'd be out of time. Look at this question. I think I'm going to get done a little early. Y'all are going to be happy. Um, but I, I don't, it was one of those ones. I don't want to get into some of the Jewish perspective nuance on, on this till next week. So if you found this interesting at all, hopefully you'll be back next week and we're going to pick it up and look at this. But um, I do find it fascinating how it all works together. And like I said, I remember the very first time that I was listening to, um, to this uh, on a USB thumb drive that Brock had given to me. It was on my computer. I had plugged it in. I was listening to this thing. And I'm thinking, I, I just remember shaking my head. Man, I, I had never heard this before. But yet I'm going, I felt like I left that, listening to that thing, like this whole new understanding of these very, very familiar verses. I'll also tell you that, that I began my relationship with what I would call, you know, my own, you know, everybody needs people that make them better, that, that provoke you to good works, provoke you to a greater knowledge of the scriptures, and do, certainly Dr. Frutenbaum in my life would, I would consider to be one of my greatest mentors. I'm privileged to have met him a couple times, you know. Um, he, he doesn't like to answer a lot of my questions because I get my questions from Brock, and he don't like answering Brock's questions either because um, we ask, when we find Arnold being inconsistent, we like to ask him about it, and he don't want to answer. <laughs> so he knows Brock irritates him. <laughs> I said, I know the feeling, so we're knit together. Um, but uh, I have a deep respect for Dr. Frutenbaum, and I've also been privileged, and if you're interested, there's a couple different biographies out on him, one I liked more than another, but I've read a couple different biographies about him and his family, and he comes from an, an Orthodox Jewish family of a lineage of, of rabbis. And matter of fact, I think it was his grandfather actually attained the title of Rabban. Now, they were all from over there in Europe, in, in uh, Russia, part of Russia, and, uh, you know, he lost several members of his family through the Holocaust, and it's an amazing story how God pulled their family uh, out of out of the out of Russia into Eastern Europe, and I think into Poland, and you know, uh, which was not a popular place to be even after World War II ended, um, and how God got him out of there and eventually to New York, and how Arnold became, you know, was introduced to the Jewish Messiah, the Lord Jesus, and, you know, how he ended up being used of God as he is today. Um, but as I read his biography, one of my favorite parts, and I've mentioned this before, but it's just one of those ones that I, I'm like, man, I'm glad when I, when I went to PCC and, you know, do you, do you have to take platform exams still, Joe, when, 
you don't have to take platform exams. Any of you guys that went to PCC know what I'm talking about? Do I have any other PCC people in here tonight? But you didn't have to take platform exams like when your junior year. We had to take exams that if you were like a Bible major in your junior year, you had to take platforms that proved that you had made it far enough that you could stay in that, that you could stay in that major. You know, so if you failed your platform, you had to go back and take sub-level classes again. A little bit of pressure, right? I remember taking those things, and, you know, but yeah, it wasn't that hard. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, piece of cake. Um, but I read in Arnold's biography about his grandfather, who was a Raban, and Arnold tells a story about how his grandfather was making that transition to becoming a leader of the rabbis. And in order to complete his training, he was required to know the Torah inside and out. And so what they would do to, to demonstrate this is they would take a handwritten copy of the Torah, which was very valuable. Um, some people say that the student himself had to do some of that writing, I mean, make a copy of it. And then they would take a nail, a big, like almost like a nail type size, maybe use on a railroad or something, big, big one. And they would put it on top of that stack of papers with all those Hebrew letters and, you know, if you ever looked at Hebrew writing, and they would drive that nail with a hammer through those pages of the Torah. Then they would yank it out, tearing lots of the pages out, or paper from the hole, you know, you know, parts of those pages. Then they would give it back to the student, and he was required to go through and fill in all the words that the spike had taken out. How, did anybody here going to take that challenge tonight from the first, even the first five books of the Bible? Not this guy. They knew the word. And yet even in a practice like that, as Arnold mentions in his biography, um, isn't it something that even back then they were driving a nail through the written word just as one day there would be a nail driven through the living word and as Colossians says, that he would nail the handwriting of ordinances that was against us to his cross, freeing you and I. Because Jesus completely, perfectly fulfilled the demands of the law. Amen? Man, it's good stuff. That's Nicodemus and Jesus' interaction about being born again. So how many times have you been born again? If you're a Gentile, I pray it's at least once spiritually. Um, I don't think, doubt any of us physically, but if you're a Jewish person, you might say, I've been born again once, hopefully spiritually, and maybe you've been born again, you had a bar mitzvah, you know, so I guess maybe twice. So Dr. Frutenbaum, I don't know what he'd, I don't know, Brock, what do you think? How many times do you think Dr. Frutenbaum could say he'd been born again? At two, three, I mean... I'm not, yeah, because, I mean, though no, he never was in Pharisaism. He certainly is a teacher and became then a teacher of teachers. Interesting thought. Dr. Frutenbaum, I'm sure you're watching. If you have any, any insights on that, when I ask, answer this question, you know, let, let me know. So thank you for watching tonight. Those of you who watched online, appreciate it. Hope you've been blessed. We'll pick it up there next week. I'm going to close in prayer. We'll see you all. The, the, the men will meet here tomorrow morning to head out to uh, the men's retreat. And uh, so nothing else going on this weekend, right? Everything else is kind of quiet and we'll see you um we'll see you no to pastor danny he's been gone so he's got to, he's he's I, it's like his, it's like on the computer when it's going thinking thinking i can see what they're going rebooting um i will tell you um i believe pardon me homeschool field trip is that true sarah what friday 
10 a.m. at Montevallo at the American Village, just meeting there. All right. Amen. Go, go odd homeschoolers. Yeah. Um, I, am, I think I'm going to start a series on Sunday um, on the topic of anxiety, which I am going to start with great anxiety. <laughs> so please pray for me because um, I've kind of told God I don't really want to do this, but he's not letting it go. So looks like I'll be starting one probably on anxiety, most likely. All right, so if I don't on Sunday, don't, don't hold it against me, but um, I'm excited about what God's showing me uh, through his word because I think probably most of us know what anxiety is. I'm going to guess there, and if not, I guess you don't need to come. If you don't know anything about having any anxiety, hey. Actually, you could come and share that with the rest of us. It'd be great. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the teaching of your word tonight. Thank you for this interaction between uh, yourself and um, Nicodemus, thankful for his searching heart and the testimony that Nicodemus really is to us today and the way we recognize your heart for even people who are quote-unquote moral by man's eyes. Thank you for the gift of eternal life. Uh, Lord, I pray you'd be your blessing on the men as they had the retreat this weekend. Give them safety as they travel and just a wonderful time together. Be with the odd homeschoolers. And uh, uh, we're so thankful for that ministry and uh, the responsibility and the blessing of uh, educating our children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And uh, God, I just thank you for the folks that are here tonight. Dismiss us with your blessings now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.